Today is February 3rd, I believe, 2016. The title of today's message is, It's Plum Sum. <laughs> it's Plum Sum. Um, the, if, I, if I understand it correctly, and Elder Charlie can correct me because I stole it from, from Elder Charlie, so if I get it wrong, he... So, okay, so from, from some mighty men of God in, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but um, so... The phrase goes something like, hey, is it plum? And the response is, it's plum sum. Right? So as I was thinking about this the other day, anybody know what this is called? This is a plum line. Yes. What a plum line is used for is to designate whether something is in the right place or not. It is a standard that you are supposed to use. You can have a room that may be, not be square. You can have walls that are in the wrong dimensions, not quite measured right. But you can take this and you can find from any point in the room and you can find where it's supposed to be. It's almost like God has a standard for us to be measuring ourselves up against. That He has sent from His very throne room that comes down to us that we are supposed to be measuring ourselves against. One of the many reasons that I love my church is I'm proud of, uh, we mentioned the other day, our, some four young men uh, who were written up for proselytizing at work. Amen. Amen. We have a, a development on that. Now the four young men are no longer working for said boss and said business. Amen. Amen. It's almost as if they decided to go by the plumb line that God had set forth and said that any other standard is not good enough. The idea behind the phrase of it's plum sum, um, obviously that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not allowed to be plum sum. We are supposed to be perfectly plum. We're supposed to be perfectly in line with what God has set. You know, it took till 1959 for there to be an official measurement for how long an inch was. 1959. There were some common practices before that. But officially, July 1st, I believe it was 1959, that they set a determination of what the length of an inch was. In case you're wondering, it's 0.9144 meters, which doesn't, I, I don't know the standard for meters. I guess they had determined that before. <laughs> Same, in, 19, in 1959, it took, they set the length of a second. I was a music teacher for a long time, so the length of a second actually mattered to me. It actually mattered because I could figure out things musically if I looked on a page and I was instructing a group maybe at a competition or a festival and I had to know what the tempo was. I could derive some things by certain tunes that I had in my head or I could just look at my watch and calculate some things, do a few quick little calculations and make sure that we were exactly where we needed to be. <laughs> The pound, uh-oh, a measurement of weight, points, no. right. <laughs> my, my first mission trip was to Ireland, and it's not a pound, though. I mean, there's, there's a, a monetary pound, right, but it was a, they, they talked about how they were, oh, you're 15 stone. I was like, we're going to fight. <laughs> what does that mean? That was, that was a, a common term that they used for a certain amount of weight. Pound, 0.456592237 kilograms. I have no idea what that means in real life, right? But there's, there's a standard that has to be set. Um, 
used to be a marching marcher. He used to march in, in bands in high school and college, taught music. And it, it got to the point where I could tell you exactly what five yards was supposed to be. I could tell you five-yard length with 99.9% accuracy. Because everything we did, we were supposed to, we had that marching down. There was a certain number of steps, and I knew if I started somewhere, I could give you a pretty good calculation of every five yards or so, or every half of that. I could tell when a football field was not plumb. I could tell when the actual yard lines weren't really five yards apart from each other. I would march through it and go, I will go ahead and adjust to what I see here, because no one else in the stands knows this, but I know that this field is not actually right close enough for government work. It's, it's plumb some, but it was not plumb. It's an interesting thing for us to get to. Let's take a look at Amos chapter 7. Don't get hungry. Don't want some cookies. We're going to turn to Amos, the original famous Amos, chapter 7 and verse 7. Wait for a few more of you to get there because it's Amos, so we want to all be looking at it here. Chapter 7, verse 7, it says this. This is what he showed me. Aren't you glad that the Lord can show you things? Aren't you glad that we actually go to a church, we actually serve a God that will actually still show you something? The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? Again, don't you love those questions? So the Lord is standing by a wall that he had built that was plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And he said, what do you see? Uh, well, I see a plumb line, he replied. I replied. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my word, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. When the Lord comes in and sets something plumb in your life, He gives you a standard. He gives you something as a reference point. He says, this is the plumb line. It does not do us any good whether we like the plumb line, whether we can figure out the plumb line, whether it makes sense to us. It is just, this is the plumb line and we are to stand for it. If it costs us everything we have, We want to make ourselves plumb against this. Take a look now at Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4. Let's start in verse 6. So he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might. We mentioned this the other day, if you'll recall. We talked about not by the influence that we have, not by the strength of our own armies, what that word actually means in the original language, not by power, not by the things that you can do by your own strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Everybody say, by my spirit. By my spirit. Says the Lord Almighty. The Yahweh Saba, the Lord of heavenly hosts. Then the word of the Lord came to me. I'm sorry, verse 7. What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. God has a plan for mankind. God has a plan that He has enacted, and for whatever reason, for His own divine purposes, He has chosen to use you and me to fulfill the plan. The idea that God is going to do it any other way is a futile way to think. He uses His children. He uses His church. He uses His people to be the hands that do His will. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hand will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. When will they know? After they've seen His hand completed. Who despises the day of small things? Wow. A lot of people have problems in their marriages today. They think that they should start out with what they saw a generation past. They want to start where a generation past has left them. They see an achievement of a family who spent a long time in life, in the ministry, in the word, in, in, in public. And people think that they ought to have the same type of lifestyle. That they, what they don't understand is that it took those other people 20, 30 years to achieve those lifestyles. They despise the day of small beginning in a very practical way in their life. We're afraid to say that we are not as smart as we think, that we're not as strong as we think in our own strength. So we want to advance ourselves far beyond what God has actually granted to us because we actually despise the day of small beginnings. We don't actually trust that the Lord has put us where He wanted to put us and He's forming in us what He wants to form in us. The words that came forth tonight were about God being a good, good Father. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. Oh, I'm not evil. Let's talk about how in comparison to the Lord. <laughs> really? You want to you you make that your standard here? There's the plumb line. If you're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, ungodly people can be decent to their children. How much more? Everybody say, how much more? How much more? How much more will He bestow on you goodness, including His Holy Spirit? Are you despising the day that God has you in right now? Are you starting a new business and you're, you're despising the fact that you have to? <laughs> have you been <laughs> removed from a job? I'm actually very proud of these men Amen. who've lost a job, who've walked away from a job because they are trying to stand and they are standing for the righteous plumb line that's in the hand of the Lord. Amen. But what about you? We should, we should brag on these men. But these men are not you. How do you stand before the Lord today? Are you despising where He has you? Because you're not far enough. You're not getting there fast enough. You don't like what He's taking you through. Do you complain? Do you squeal every time you get in a little bit of difficult times? <laughs> we, uh, we went somewhere for lunch today. And... Um, some in our group requested, uh, the request from the waitress was, well, how hot do you want it? I was like, I want it as mild as you can put it. <laughs> Others thought that they were ordering a three out of four on the hot scale. Well, our waitress decided to put it like, I don't know, 4.5 on the hot scale. And, uh, <sighs> whew. 
A lot of squirming going on at the table at lunch. Are, do you squirm every time God turns up the heat just a little bit for you? Do you squirm? Does it, does it make you... Uh, How much do you scorn when God turns up the heat? Despise not the day of small things. Look what the next phrase says. Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. When there are godly people, when there are godly leaders who are holding a plumb line, it brings joy to the people around them. When you hold a righteous plumb line to those who it matters, to those who are in the kingdom, they look at that and it brings joy that there's a righteous person who is leading. Look at the next part of that phrase. It's still in the same verse. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range throughout the earth. The seven, wow, the the Lord has seven eyes. We know through many studies that we've done here, I won't take time to to go into that very much, but the Lord has an affinity for things that are grouped by sevens. There are seven spirits of the Lord. Apparently there are seven eyes. Seven lampstands, seven stars. There's a lot of things that we can see. There's seven feasts, right? Look up in chapter 3, verse 9. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it says, The Lord Almighty, the Yahweh Saba, the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Referring right back to that even from chapter 4. Let's look again, verse 10 of chapter 4. It says this, Who despises the day of small things? Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. <clears throat> These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout the earth. I want you to take a look at Haggai chapter 2. If you turn back two pages, if you don't know your, <clears throat> what I grew up to understand as minor prophets, we're, we're just hanging out in the minor prophets a little bit tonight. Minor Nothing minor about these guys. Pretty powerful teachings that they have. <clears throat> if you're not familiar with the minor prophets, I encourage you to spend some daily reading in the minor prophets because you will be blessed. Haggai chapter 2, and let's start in verse 1. On the 21st day... Of the seventh month. Huh, seven, there it is again. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. To Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Does it seem to you like nothing? So what is Zerubbabel tasked to do? He's tasked to rebuild the temple. You can look in Ezra and find out about what's going on. You can hear this same person, Zerubbabel, talked about in Ezra. We can see him here in Haggai. We can see him in Zechariah. You can see him in different places, and it's the same person and one story through contemporaries. Be like if Pastor Eric was talking about a story that Elder Baj was also involved in, and they both wrote about it and talked about the same person. Oh, I thought, yeah, the Bible is so well connected. It's such a beautiful thing. So he was tasked with the, with the task of rebuilding the temple, of Sol- rebuilding Solomon's temple. Verse 3, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? 
But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. Wow. Three times. Be strong. Hey, be strong. All you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, man. Be strong. Why? So you can, so you can do the work. For I am with you. Everybody says, I am with you. I am with you. Declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Isn't that neat? You use the word covenant there in a verb. Covenanted. I, I made a covenant with you. And I'm going to remind you that what I said before is going to be carried out. Because I have the plumb line in my hand and it's not going anywhere. I'm building this straight and true. And as long as you stay here, be strong. Be strong and do the work. Is that not exactly what the Lord told as the temple was being built? First Chronicles 28.20. Is that right? Be strong and courageous. Rock Kazak Amats is what David tells to Solomon. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Come on, that sounds like our church, doesn't it? Do the work. Now, another minor prophet. I want you to turn to Micah. Back towards the beginning. Chapter 6, verse 8. Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. This is going to be the framework for the entire message tonight. If you remember nothing else, I want you to make a note for Micah 6, 8. It's a fairly popular verse, but we're going to dig into this and we're going to see what God has for us tonight. We're going to see the plumb line that He carries and what He's doing with it tonight. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good. Um, He's shown you a plumb line. He's shown you what is good and righteous. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. (coughs) To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's not as if God has this plumb line somewhere and He's not telling you about it. He's not hiding it. The design of a plumb line is not that it's hid anywhere. The whole point of the plumb line is that it's out in front and you continually measure yourself against it. You continually find this point. I had such a good time in Mexico with Elder Charlie. I have never been around much building, much construction. And I watched Charlie. He had thought through it so well and I determined that I was just going to be very, very quiet. (laughs) Lest I prove myself a fool. Just, if he tells me to do it, that's all I'm going to do. I encouraged my son and Gabe Stevens. I was like, I just want you boys to shut up. I want you to stand close to Elder Charlie, and whatever he says, you do it. Don't question it. Get it right. Because you'll learn a lot if you just listen. That's good advice. (laughs) I was trying to do the same. (laughs) And he was showing and doing it, and I was watching him on how to build something that is square, that is true, that is right to the form. Now, we happen to have a hurricane about 35 minutes after that. And it's still square. And it's still square. (laughs) The Lord has shown us what is good. He's shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? He's showing you exactly how He wants you to live. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want you to put a marker here. 
in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, because we're going to come back and f- to and fro from it. But I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. If God wants us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Him, what exactly does that mean? 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 12. Hey, I know it's a Wednesday night. I get it. Tell me there when you're there. All right. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 12. Um, the word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees and you carry out my regulations and keep all my commands and obey them, you keep them and you obey them. I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to David, your father. It's almost like, just like he was in Haggai, just what he said. Hey, remember when I covenanted, covenanted with you? Remember, remember those things that I said before? Remember that? I want to remind you that now. There's something about when God reminds us of the standard, it's usually about something that he's already told us. Would you, would you reference back to those things? Hey, do you remember when I said this to you? Do you remember when, I, when you became a believer? Do you remember that word that was given to you? There's something about the standard that makes us want to think back and look back and go, I, I better keep, what's, what's the adage, you measure twice and cut once when you're working on construction things? Perhaps, it's, that's, a, perhaps that's worldly wisdom. Perhaps the Lord tells us to keep, to keep measuring ourselves against it constantly. Lord, have we drifted? Not, not one degree, not one inch. <laughs> what if the inch is different? No, there's a standard that has been set. I will fulfill through you what I, the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will live among the Israelites and, not will abandon, and will not abandon my people. Back up to verse 12 for just a second. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, and hear what the same words that are used, and you act justly. The words in the Hebrew are, to carry out there means, it's number 6213, which is Asa, which is the same word that was used to act in Micah 6. The word regulations are number 4941, mishpat, which means to act justly. Literally in the middle of this phrase, he's saying, hey, by the way, Micah is going to talk about this as well. But this is what is required of you. In this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, if you act justly and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to the Father. There's an integration of God's word throughout everything that he says. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 3. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Amen. How you treat the poor. How you treat those who cannot defend themselves. How you treat the weak. How you treat the young matters to God. How you treat those amongst you that you feel to be weaker than you. Are you despising their day of small beginnings? It matters. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Don't tell me about all the great things that you've done if you can't actually take care of your neighbor. If you can't actually fulfill the word of God to those who you will never get repaid from. 
If you're waiting to get repaid, then I'm going to say that you are not yet acting right or acting justly. Do what is right. Find the plumb line that is in the hand of the Lord and do it. If it costs you everything, if it costs you a job, if it costs you your life, go do that. Amen. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. We started in the writings. We're going to the law and we will end this one in the prophets. Genesis 18 and verse 19 says this. Um, Let's back up to verse 18 for me, please. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. Wow, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty special. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through this one man, through his family, through what becomes of it, which is going to be a nation. Wow, it must be because he's the smartest guy ever. It must be because he has the most finances ever. That's what it says. Verse 19, For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Everybody say right, right. And, just. and just. So that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. You think this is a big deal to God if we act justly? Verse 25. This is in the passage, by the way, that's talking. I don't know if you have the heading in your, in your chapters. But the heading in my Bible says, Abraham pleads for Sodom. In the middle of a righteous man crying out for a wicked place, God says, the reason I chose you is because you're going to raise your kids and your family to act right and to act justly, to do right and act justly. And then in verse 25, it says, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? We've talked about it a lot. If you've been with us on Monday nights during Foundations, you understand this concept that God can both judge the wicked and save the righteous simultaneously. It's almost like God can tell the difference between things that are plumb and things that aren't. And He could deal with the two accordingly. He's not going to get confused. He's not going to accidentally harm the righteous and accidentally let the wicked off. Why? Because he is the one who has the plumb line in his hand. Hmm. Turn to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah chapter 28. <coughs> We're going to start in verse 16. Isaiah 28:16 says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. You know the word for stone there? Um, the word for plumb line is actually a compound word in the Hebrew. And one of the parts of that compound word is the same word that's used there for stone. I lay a stone in Zion. A tested stone. A precious cornerstone. 
What are we going to do with the cornerstone? The cornerstone functions like a plumb line, doesn't it? It tells us where square is, where we're going to build off of. Everything is measured off of this point. May not be able to find anything else, but I can find this right here. This is the point. This is where I will make my stand come hell or high water, as the phrase says. This is exactly where I'm going to stand. See, I lay a stone in Zion. I lay, God set it right where it needed to be. In Chicago. No. <laughs> in, no, he says he laid a stone in Zion, folks. Amen. In Zion. He knew exactly where he wanted to set it. From the very throne room of heaven, he set a stone. He laid it right there, a tested stone. If he's going to have to lay a tested stone there, what do you think he's going to have to do to us? If we're going to be little stones, if we're going to be living stones, hmm, perhaps there's some testing with us. Why? Because we have to be plumb. We have to be square to the precious cornerstone that he set. For a sure foundation that no one, the one who trusts will never be dismayed. Did, did you get that? Perhaps you were just thinking about it. I will read it again for you. <laughs> See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. Amen. If you're dismayed, it means that you're not trusting in the cornerstone. If you're overwhelmed constantly in your life, if everything that comes along shakes you to at your core, if you're fearful and you bite your nails and there's just nervous, there's nervousness and twitching, and I understand when pressure comes on. But it says here, the one who trusts will never be dismayed. Never. The Bible says, if I'm trusting, I won't be dismayed. So you know what I know in my life? That if I'm dismaying, then I'm not trusting. There's no way around that. Because the word is true. It is the plumb line. He is the cornerstone. I don't get to choose whether, whether I like it or not. When I look at the word, it reveals whether I am also plumb. That's the plumb truth. <laughs> <laughs> the one who trusts will never, ever, ever be dismayed. Verse 17. I will make justice. Everybody say justice. justice. The measuring line. And righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. Righteousness. The plumb line. He will make justice the measuring line. How far does this go out? What are the dimensions that we're talking about? There were dimensions that were given for the temple. There were dimensions that were given for the ark. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago when they were making cathedrals in Europe, <clears throat> there were a lot of things that they tried to do, kind of a, a, a numerology thing where they would try to take measurements from the ark and build part of a cathedral using the measurements for that day. It doesn't quite line up because those measurements are now different, but if you use those old standards, you can actually see some of the architects were trying to show off a little bit. They can't show off nearly as much as my God can. Amen. Who measures it out with justice. Huh. He has righteousness as the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. I want you to hold your place. Uh, let's turn to Isaiah 34, just a few pages over. 
So the measuring line is justice and righteousness is the plumb line for the people of God. I wonder what the plumb line is for someone else. If they're not in Christ, let's turn to Isaiah 34 and verse 11. The desert owl and screech owl will possess it. The great owl and the raven will nest there. God will stretch out over Edom the measuring line of chaos. And the plumb line of desolation. God will stretch out over Edom the measuring line of chaos and the plumb line of desolation. Um, If you're new tonight or if you're newer here, we try to do a lot getting back to the original language, right? We figure that if God wrote it in a particular language, it's important for us to go to his plumb line of what he chose to write it in and do the best that we can and, and grow in that all the time. The words there for chaos and desolation... I will say them together, and many of you will recognize them. Toho, tohu, vavohu. The measuring line of tohu and the plumb line of vavohu. The chaos and destruction of utter chaos that God is going to, that's the measuring line he's going to use for the people who don't belong to him. It's going to be measured out to them in chaos. Utter formlessness and void. It's going to be chaos. And what the plumb line for them is going to be is destruction. (laughs) These are the only choices you get, folks. Being a former school teacher, I, I always thought of passages like Deuteronomy where it says that we set before you this choice today of life and death. Choose life. As a school teacher, I loved that passage. You know why? Because I was like, this is a one-question test. It's an it's a, a or B answer, and I'm telling you that the answer is A. <laughs> when I used to think on, people would go, well, how can a loving God send someone to hell? If I'm a teacher, and, and what, a, what a poor example compared to a mighty king, right? But if I'm a teacher and I gave your final exam is one question, I told you the question, and I told you the answer. If you don't put the right answer, if you don't actually choose life, I don't have much sympathy for you. You decided that you wanted to choose death. Oh, well then, well that's easy. I have no, I have no loss of heart for you. Destruction and chaos is that measuring line. Is that plumb line. As we're talking about Back in Isaiah when we talked about justice being the measuring line and righteousness being the plumb line. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I've already hinted at it, so let's just turn there. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2 verse... Verse 1. can't do it. (laughs) Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Was it in James it says where we have envy and selfish ambition, you find every evil practice? Hmm. 
Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Everybody say grow up. Grow up. Come on, let's grow up. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. <laughs> the Lord has shown you, oh man, what is good. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men. Everybody say rejected. rejected. If you've been rejected, he understands. And he was rejected in totality. You might have been rejected by a certain person, a certain group of people. I can assure you, if you're here tonight, you have not been rejected by everybody because we're not rejecting. So whatever excuse that you might have, let me encourage you to set that aside so that you be not dismayed for what the Lord is doing in you. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. Almost like He's a precious cornerstone. You also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We don't have time tonight to talk about that we can make sacrifices to God that are unacceptable. But Lord, did we not do this? And what will He say to those people? He'll say, depart from me because I never knew you. Is that not the issue with Cain and Abel all the way back at the beginning? Sin enters in and what happens? We get to murder, but how do we get to murder? We got to murder because people didn't offer to the Lord sacrifices that were acceptable to Him. Wow. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. <laughs> Almost like we just read that. A chosen and a precious cornerstone. Wait a minute. You mean that the New Testament is built on top of the Old Testament? Come on now. Wow. You mean that when they're quoting Scripture, they're quoting the Old Testament? Hmm, interesting. And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. How do you know if you're a true believer or not? He's precious. He is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. (laughs) He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the cornerstone and the capstone. He sets it in a plumb line and tells us to measure off of it. And then he says, I am the crowning achievement of it all. He does both <laughs> the cornerstone and the capstone. And, verse 8, a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. A stone that causes men to stumble. But I thought God so loved the world. He does. But he will not change his standard for anyone or anything. He has the plumb line in his hand. They stumble. Why? Because they disobey the message. If you've been hanging out at our house on Sunday night, what do we normally say? We'll be looking at a scripture and I say, if you don't know the answer to to this question, just read a little bit more before you ask the question. Just keep reading. Just, just, Just keep reading. I'm not saying don't ask the question. Please ask the question. But just read a little bit more first, right? They stumble. I don't know why they stumble. Why would the Lord say that? Uh, Let's just keep reading. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Let's keep reading. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, 
If you follow the Lord long enough, you will feel like an alien and a stranger. I worked in a private uh, school for 12 years, eight of which as a teacher, the last four in administration. I felt like a fish out of water half the time. I felt like an alien and a stranger. Even after years of being there, I'm like, eh, there's not really many people that I feel extremely connected with. I felt, the way I always used to say it was, I felt too public school. I, I, felt, I, felt too, I felt too Christian for the private school and too Christian for the public school. I was like, wait a minute. I actually used to say it, I felt too public for the private school and too private for the public school that I ended up going to. I'm like, oh, maybe this is just the way that believers actually feel. Maybe it's because there's a plumb line that I'm actually trying to live by, trying to measure myself against, and I keep wanting, if I do find that I'm off, I beg for forgiveness. I quickly fall on my face and say, Lord, I am off of your standard. Give me the strength by the power of your spirit to be on point. I'm going, oh. Unfortunately, I view that as normal Christian. But apparently other people view that as something uh, extraordinary. We're a church where our standard is whether we live or we die, we, 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 we do it as unto the Lord. If we lose our job, we celebrate it here yes. in this place. We expect you to not only tithe, but give anything that the Lord speaks into your heart. Amen. If it be everything that you have, Amen. make sure it's Him. But then do it without question. Yes. Once it's clear to you, we do it without reservation. Yes. Joyfully. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> This has been a fun chapter for me lately. I keep getting little nuggets out of it every time I read it. Let's start in verse 8. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8 says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Yeah, let's make sure we get that in the right order when we do it in our lives. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Amen little order of operations, folks. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You want to know what we're doing? You want to know why we're doing it? We will be glad to tell you why we're doing it. Be ready to give an answer, right? Whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. What does verse 12 say? Salvation is found in no one else. (laughs) There is a plumb line. There is a righteous standard. For there is no name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, and let's start in verse 42. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42 says this. Jesus said to them, have you never read in scriptures? All right now. 
We're starting to catch a theme here. The stone the builders rejected. You know, that was, that was a fun part of our trip to Mexico when we were trying to build a house. We got a lot of wood that the builders rejected. <laughs> Everything was a different size. These are the two by sixes. Well, this one's kind of like six. This one's about six and a half. This one's like seven and a half. Wait, what are we doing here? Yeah, they were rejected because of a lack of quality somewhere that ended up in these Mexican uh, lumber yards. This one, the stone the builders rejected, it wasn't because of any lack that he had. It was people who didn't find him precious. They did not understand the righteous standard. They were the ones that were out of line, not him. The stone the builders rejected has become a capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will acknowledge it with their words. What? That's not what it says, in case you weren't following along. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Amen. Look at this, last, this next verse. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. <laughs> Wasn't that the prophecy that came forth tonight? About broken pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Okay, so... Think about this for a second. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. If we run and fall upon the righteous standard, it will break us from our pride. It will break us from all the things that we think that it should be or might ought to be. And we go to him and we just say, we fall upon you, mighty Lord. You are the righteous standard. You are the stone. You're both the cornerstone and the capstone. You are the one that was rejected and we fall upon you. But... He on whom it falls. Lord, I prefer, uh, before I say it, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Um, Do you notice the theme? There's going to be some brokenness going on. That's right. Either way, you're going to get broken. You know why? Because he's the potter and he can rebuild you just the way he wants. He can reform you. He can refashion you. He can make you pure before him. So I would rather fall upon him. If there's going to be brokenness anyway, if you're about to fire me, I may just go ahead and quit anyway. If, if either verdict of this, if the outcome of this has been settled, Lord, I would rather fall upon you, that righteous stone, and be broken than you falling on me and it being judgment, being crushed being pulverized, not to be reformed anymore, but just that the judgment has fallen upon you. Lord, don't follow me. Lord, don't remove your spirit from me. Lord, I want to run to you and fall upon you. Wow. It's an interesting way that the scripture puts it here. Let's go back to Micah. So that's act justly. (laughs) He showed you... (laughs) Amen. Amen. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. The word there for love is ahab. Ahab. 
the letters in the original Hebrew. You get the alf, strong, leader, first. You get the bet, the second letter, which is home. The word ab, A-B, <laughs> alf and bet, means the father, the strong leader of the home. When you take that and you add the ha in the middle, the hey, you get the very breath, you get the very spirit of God. It's almost like what they were trying to teach children from the youngest ages was that when a father, when the leader of a home has the spirit of God interjected into him, it is the very definition of love. Amen. It's almost like when you take the father and, and you add the spirit, you get love. Yes. We are supposed to love Mercy. It's easy for us to read through the book of First John and see how many ways that it talks about God being love. It specifically says it that way. God is love. So what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to love the same way that God loves. We're supposed to love mercy. Turn to Psalm. Keep your place there in Micah. We're going to be right there, uh, right back. Psalm 136. When we say that we are to love mercy... Mercy. <clears throat> love mercy. We love the way that God acts. We love the way that He is. I don't know if you could see this in a in jazz music. There's a thing called a call and response. It's, a, it's called a call and response. Uh, it was actually started before jazz music, but jazz music makes it much more famous of, of late. You'll hear one instrument play something, and then the entire group plays something back. They say one thing musically, and the group answers them musically. Right? Really, what that idea of call and response was comes from chapters like this. A song of the Lord. Why are we reading this? Because we want to love mercy. We want to understand how he acts and we want to love it. So I'm going to say the first part and you're going to say the second part. We're going to do a call and response. Okay? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great works. I don't want you to lose the, the passion here because we're going to say this uh, about you know, 15, 20 more times, right? What I want it to do is get down into your spirit that his love endures forever. And as we say a phrase, we're understanding his very character. We're understanding how he operates in mercy and we're learning to love it. Amen? Amen. We're on verse 5 now. Who by his understanding made the heavens... Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love forever. Who made the great lights. His love forever. The sun to govern the day. His love forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night. His love forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His love forever. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I just said that he struck down the firstborn. And you responded that his love endures forever. How, how can that be? Because he saved our firstborn in his place. Because he's saying there's a righteous standard. And those who don't meet it, 
they are in for tohu vavohu. And that is part of God's love. It is not separate from his love. If his love endures forever, he can show kindness to the righteous and judge the wicked. And it is us loving mercy. Us loving mercy isn't always that we think that everyone should get off the hook. Sometimes mercy is telling someone where they stand so they can have an opportunity to get back into alignment with God. It is His love. We're not reading this as just an exercise. We're trying to get the Word down into our heart. To Him who struck down the firstborn, His love still endures forever. It is What He does is the definition of love. Huh. Verse 11. And brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever. To Him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. What does God need to bring you through right now? What impossible task lays before you that God, in His love and in His infinite mercy, must lead you through? But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. Wow. Still part of His love. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. who struck down great kings his love and killed mighty kings, his love Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love forever. and Og, king of Bashan, his love forever. and gave their land as an inheritance, his love forever. an inheritance to his servant Israel, his love forever. to the one who remembered us in our low estate. It's almost like we should not despise the day of small things. And freed us from our enemies. And who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Come on, man. There's something about the repetition of us saying it that we're not particularly worried about our next line and we're actually listening to it and associating God's love as He is defeating mighty kings who are wicked. We are supposed to love mercy. And we are to walk humbly with our God. Turn to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48. I hope you go to sleep tonight thinking about His love that endures forever. I hope it echoes in your mind. I hope it echoes in your heart. I hope it echoes in your consciousness. I hope it echoes in your subconsciousness. That the love of God, His love endures forever. uh, Genesis chapter 48 and verse 15 says this. Then He blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may He bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly upon the earth. The blessing that Joseph got was that may God bless before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. A lifestyle of walking before the Lord. Not men who were perfect, but they walked. So we're to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our Lord. It is a walk, folks. 
You got to go. You got to walk. You got to do. You got to move. The implication is that you're moving. It's not those who stood before the Lord. It's those who walked before the Lord. I know that's simple, right? Great revelation that there's a difference between standing and walking. But they are admonished because they walked with the Lord. Amen. They went where he told them to go. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 17. Second Chronicles chapter 17. <clears throat> Verse 3. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he had walked in the ways his father David had followed. The idea there is that you are, uh, it's like you're becoming a son of the house. You are walking in the exact same steps. I've shared this before, but um, one of the first places that I ever went on a mission trip was in Jamaica. And um, had a great, one of the days we took, we were in between places and we went to a waterfall. And we started walking up the waterfall, and there was other groups. It was just a tourist place. And there were other groups that came with us, and there were these kids that kind of got attached to our group. Kind of hold hands, and you walk up the waterfall. And a friend of mine was there, and he said, this young, maybe six or seven-year-old kid came up and was a little nervous. He said, hey, just, you just put your feet where I put it. Now, by the way, in the rock, there were enough, there were actually footprints in the rock. Wow. Because the path was actually pretty clear. It's, I don't know if I can explain it well, but in the solid rock, that as the water is washing down over it, you can see where people stepped over and over again, so you knew where the surest places to step were. Why? Because we were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. They had walked, and they had literally worn out. They had made their imprint on the stone there because they walked the correct path. So this little kid came up behind him, and he said, just put your feet where I put mine. He couldn't even get his foot entirely off the rock. He would just barely lift it, and the kid would go. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And he's like, whoa. Yeah, kids, right? That's exactly the way I want to be with my Lord. Amen. I want to act justly. I want to love mercy. And I want to walk humbly with you, Lord. I want, if you give me just a little space, I'm going to be right there where you were. I don't need you to yell at me. I don't need scream. I just need, you just walk, and I'll, I'll walk right where you walk. I'm just going to be real. I'm going to be right behind you because I don't want any time. I don't want any delay from what you tell me to when I do it. I don't want there to be any delay. I want to. I want to know that my foot is exactly where you told me to go. You know how I'm going to do that? All the way up to where I need to get. There is something powerful when we walk the way that He tells us to walk. We walk humbly. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. Final verse for tonight. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23. There. 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 Amen. Woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. <laughs> In my mind, I just heard, his love endures forever. <laughs> I did. I was like, oh, amen. That's kind of funny. I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Woe to you. His love endures forever. 
Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. What are the next three things that it says? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Act justly to love mercy. And what is faithfulness but us walking humbly with our Lord? Jesus' words here echo in my heart and my mind of Micah 6.8. You, you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You're getting caught on the small stuff and you're missing the point. What they say, you're losing the forest for the trees or you're losing the trees for the forest, whichever way that goes. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice. Everybody say justice. justice. Mercy. Everybody say mercy. And faithfulness. Look what it says. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Is Jesus negating the first part of what they're doing? No. But what you should have done was you should have gotten it right. You should have acted justly. You should love mercy. And you should walk humbly with your God. And if you're not doing that, if that is not the standard of your life, then you are not plumb. No matter how much you want to think that you are, no matter how much you want to think that you can make it up, and I'll eyeball it. No, really, I'll eyeball it. I can do this. Looks right to me. Looks right to you. I can't remember what they're called, but there are these rooms that they build intentionally so when you're looking at it, they look square. But you have one person standing on one side, and they look you know, really tall, and the other person looks like, a, a, a very, very, a huge height differential. And they literally walk towards each other. And this person is now huge and this person is now tiny. What it is is they've destroyed the actual, there's nothing, there's nothing in that room that is actually plumb. They do it that way so they trick your eyes. So you look at it and go, wow, that person's seven feet tall. Wow, that person's three feet tall. And then they switch places. And you're like, well, clearly the person just didn't grow and that person didn't shrink. It's playing with you. It's, it's messing with your mind. It is intentionally taking away a standard. When we don't come back to this cornerstone, this chief cornerstone, what we allow is we allow the world to distort everything that is true. I've been saying this lately. <laughs> if I have a default in my life, I'm praying that God gets rid of defaults. You know why I have defaults in my life? Because I've decided what true is. And so if I just do this more often than right, by sheer chance, I'm hoping that I get it right more than I get it wrong. I am praying that God remove my defaults. It doesn't matter what I think is right. I need to find out what He says is right and do that and that alone. What about you tonight? The stone that the builders rejected. The only true form of us figuring out what this is really all about. I was going to say, are there areas, but I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase that. In what areas of your life have you decided you're going to go on autopilot? You're just going to default. When this happens, I just always do this. You know why? Because this is just how I do it. 
What areas have you decided that you've forgotten to look and measure yourself against the plumb line, against that chief cornerstone that it says that Jesus is? Um, DJ, can you put up Ephesians 2.20, please? On the screen. Because this was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Stand to your feet.